The reading today is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, and can be found on page 1005 of the Red Bibles. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, please be seated. Um, and let's, let's pray. Father, we've just sung, I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. May that be true this morning as we come to that word. And may we find satisfaction for our souls in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
About 10 years ago, I was still at uh, Bible college, and in the summer, you do a placement for a, a week or so um, with a church. Uh, and I stayed with a minister and his family. And on the Thursday night that I was staying there, um, question time came on the television. Uh, and we were sat around the, the TV, uh, and uh, it wasn't actually uh, Fiona Bruce at the time. You can see them on the side screens there. I think it was David Dimbleby. Uh, but it's still the same setup when, when the um, program comes on. The first minute, they go round and say, on the panel tonight, we have so-and-so from this political party. We have this person from the parliamentary subcommittee on whatever. Uh, we have somebody from this news organization. And, and they went round for the first minute, and, and the guy I was staying with, he uh, turned the TV off and said, I don't think there's anyone there worth listening to. And it stuck in my mind because I realized I I approach things like that exactly the same way. You look who's on, you say, oh, they might have something insightful and interesting to say. I might keep watching. Or if you don't watch TV anymore, if you're all on YouTube, you scroll through till you see someone that you find and you say, oh, What they've got to say, yeah, that's important, I'll click on that. But lots of other people scroll right on past, of course. Who's worth listening to? Or maybe you've been in a conversation with somebody and you're only half listening. Do you do that? I do that, sorry. Uh, Sometimes I'm guilty of it. And then you realise a little bit later on, I should have listened because they were trying to tell me something and now I need to know it. An hour later, a day later, a week later... I wish I'd been listening a bit more carefully. Listening's tricky, isn't it? Who we choose to listen to, how attentive we are. It matters, and yet it's hard to do. And this parable, this passage in the Bible is all about listening. Jesus begins the parable, verse 3, he says, listen. And then at the end of the parable, verse 9, Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Were you listening? It's all about how you listen, how you hear. That word comes up time and time again in the passage. It's going to be all about listening. And listening is going to be important this morning. Pete set up our series for us. He he told us where we've been. Jesus has come. He's announced the kingdom of God. And he started bringing God's love and grace into people's lives. But in chapter 2 and 3, that message and his work has been strongly opposed by people. They said, we don't want this, Jesus. There's been lots of action and activity and excitement as Jesus has been walking around. Some of it positive, some of it very negative, uh, opposition. But in all that hustle and bustle, it is possible to miss the point. And so here in chapter 4, it's as if Jesus presses pause, gets in a boat, goes out on the lake while the crowd's gathered, and he just says, okay, do we understand what's going on here? Have you been listening? Have you been seeing what's been happening as I've been bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and how people are responding? Do you understand what is happening? And he does that, he gives us that pause, By teaching in parables, we hear in verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. And he starts with the parable, which is the key to all the parables. This is the parable that helps you understand parables. Because in verse 13 he says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of them. So this is the key parable to unlock all the other parables. So we are going to think this morning a little bit about parables. We're going to think about how 
Jesus teaches in parables. We're going to think about why Jesus teaches in parables, and we're going to think about what Jesus teaches through parables. So our first point then, how Jesus teaches in parables. And this actually was new to me as I was preparing um, this, uh, this week. Um, I didn't realize that actually as Jesus is teaching this parable, he's also acting it out as he does it. What he is teaching is also happening at the same time. There's some little clues, and and Mark's very clever in the way he writes the account. And unless we've been reading and watching very closely, we'll probably miss them. I certainly always had until now. So verse 3, listen, a farmer went out. And there's a particular word in Greek that's for went out. And that word has already been used in chapter 1, verse 35, in chapter 1, verse 38, and in chapter 2, verse 13. And it's used of... Jesus. In the last three chapters, it's been Jesus who's been going out to proclaim and announce the kingdom. So it's a little clue right at the start that Jesus is the farmer in the parable. Also, verse 1, we hear the people are gathered along the water's edge on the shore. Literally, they are upon the soil or upon the earth. It's exactly the same phrase that's used in verse 8 for where Jesus scatters the seed, where the farmer scatters the seed on the soil, on the earth. So as Jesus is there preaching, teaching in parables, sowing the word, he's sowing it to this group of people who are the soil, on the soil. He's actually acting it out as he does it. And, and then the reactions to Jesus also, how some people come on the inside and some people stay on the outside, that's been happening all the way through Mark. Uh, even last week when Paul was teaching us how there was a crowd gathered inside listening and even his own family were on the outside. So even as he's doing it, he's explaining what's going on there and then. And you end up thinking, Jesus, that is very meta. If you don't know what that means, don't worry, Google it later. Um, but the point about this is that Jesus' teaching has layers. There's a little bit more going on than just the words that are being spoken. There's stuff happening underneath the surface. And I think that's very helpful for us all. You might be like me. You might have heard lots of talks on the parable of the sower. I've actually given quite a few talks on the parable of the sower. And it's easy to come and think, I heard this one. Well, Jesus' teaching has hidden layers, hidden depths. If you dwell, if you grapple with, if you meditate upon Jesus' word, you will find there are new depths to dig into. And therefore, we better listen and listen carefully. One of the things that will stop us listening carefully, I think, is thinking we've heard it before and we know exactly what he's saying. There might be a few more depths to this parable than we've ever noticed before. There were for me this week. That's how Jesus teaches in parables. So secondly, why does Jesus teach in parables? We'll come a bit more in the third point to the meaning of the parable, uh, but, but I want to look at those verses 10 to 13, where uh, the, the 12 and some others come to him and ask him about the parables. And Jesus actually says something that at first I think is quite tricky. He, he says, look, there's a secret or a mystery Uh, of the kingdom of God. And for you guys who've come and talked to me, I'm revealing it. But for those who don't come and speak to me, who stay on the outside, they're not going to get it. 
I don't think he means by that they're not going to understand it, as in intellectually. I think he means something deeper. We'll see why in a second. But he is saying there is a sort of filtering process through these parables that some come and receive more, others stay on the outside. And that's because of what a parable is. We tend to think of them as stories, but the word means something a bit more than that. Uh, The word is used for figures of speech and little word pictures and riddles and other things. It's anything that you use words in order to put pictures in people's minds. A a different way of giving us an idea. And often they sort of veil things or hide things. A good example of the kind of thing Jesus is doing is, is political cartoons. I want to explain this using political cartoons to you. Now, what they do is they they make points in a slightly different way to a newspaper article would. So we've got three cartoons just to show you you how this works and how you've got to pick up on clues and codes. Uh, And whether you can do that depends on sort of where you're from, I guess. So here's the first one. This is quite a recent political cartoon. I'm not mentioning it. I'm not talking about the politics. I I want you to see the cartoon. Uh, And whatever you think of the politics of the situation, you know, there's a cup with Brexit on it. And you'll see the string coming out the teabag is like the shape of a line graph, right, going down. That's deliberate uh, in making a point about where they think the economy's going. You've got somebody there dressed in a suit as a bull. That's lingo for people who work in the city and in particular uh, ways. And I guess, actually, you probably didn't need me to tell you most of that. Because you know those images and those codes and what they mean because you live in this time and place. Look at the next one, though. This is from 200 years ago in the UK. If you know a bit about history, you'll pick up these as well. Uh, There's a a taller man in a red coat and a shorter man in a blue coat, and they're carving up a plum pudding. And on the plum pudding, there are sort of... You can sort of... Well, you can't see because it's not in good focus, but there's sort of sketches of the globe... And that is a a comment on how Britain and France were behaving in the early 19th century. Uh, The the British, the man in the red coat is William Pitt, the man in the blue coat is Napoleon. And if you're familiar with history, you might have known those things, but maybe for some of you, you're thinking, no, I didn't get that. Here's the third one. This is a comment on King Louis-Philippe of France and comparing him to a character from French literature from the 16th century. And I know that because I looked it up on the internet. (laughs) I did not have a clue. Because I don't get those codes and symbols, right? It's not my background. It's not my culture. Well, parables work like this. Jesus is painting pictures using lots of imagery from the Old Testament, making some very important points, often quite shocking points. You know, in a political cartoon, you can sometimes say something that you wouldn't just write out in print. Uh, And you know, sometimes you connect with people in a way that a three-page article on the economic effects of Brexit, you know, you give them that, they'll flip on through, but they might stop and look at a cartoon. That's what parables do. They paint pictures that engage some people and get under the surface. They're meant to get to the heart. A good example is in 2 Samuel 12, when David commits adultery and murder, God sends the prophet Nathan to him. He doesn't begin by going, David, you are an adulterer and a murderer. You must repent. He says, David, let me tell you a story. 
And he tells this story of a, a man who has many flocks, and he, his neighbor just has one small lamb, and he takes the lamb and sacrifices it in order to provide a meal for a guest. And David, partly out of guilt, is so angry and outraged that this man would do this. And Nathan says, yeah, that's you. See, he tells the story to get past David's defenses, get to his heart. Once that heart is exposed and revealed, the truth gets in. Parables work like that. They expose the heart. It's not when it says they don't perceive or don't understand that quotation from Isaiah. It's not really talking about they they don't understand intellectually. If you go back to Isaiah, it's about having a hard heart. They won't respond. They won't care, even. Uh, I'm grateful to Sarah, who pointed this out to me, that actually later on in Mark, Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the tenants, and the teachers of the law understand that the parable was about them. So they they got what he was saying. What do they do? They go away and plot how to kill him. They've not really perceived in the way Isaiah says they, they, they won't perceive. Uh, the parable gets under their skin, all right. It works on their heart, but in completely the opposite way uh, to the way Jesus wants it to. So here are these parables, and Jesus uses them to get under the surface, to get to our hearts, to get behind our guards that we all put up. Every time, uh, probably every time we walk into church, we're, we're in danger of putting up guards, pretending that we don't need this. Well, parables get under the surface. How Jesus teaches in parables, why Jesus teaches in parables, uh, and the third point, what Jesus teaches through parables. Another reason, one of the reasons he hides it, I said, was, was because it's quite explosive. It, it's quite sort of um, inflammatory stuff that he's saying here, as, as we'll see. Um, but what is he saying? So what is the parable about? It's about a farmer who goes out to sow his seed. Now, first century, lots of people were farmers in Israel, because in the Old Testament, certainly, uh, you would each have your own bit of land. And it was kind of a farm and kind of your garden as well. You know, it was your family plot of land. And it was your job to cultivate it, to sow seed, to help it grow, to make it a place of vibrant flourishing. And that was to be a small model of what Israel was supposed to be. Because God talks about Israel in the Old Testament as the land he has planted, the people he has planted in the land. And they are supposed to be this, this community that is flourishing and growing and thriving and beautiful. And even that is really just an echo of the story God's been telling from the beginning when he planted a garden, the Garden of Eden. But of course, because of the people's sin and rebellion, God took them out of there. In Jeremiah, it talks about the people being uprooted. God's beautiful garden that he was growing in Old Testament Israel has, has been taken out and they've been put in exile. So what Jesus is saying here is saying he's the farmer who is replanting. Uh, he's here to put God's kingdom back on track, to put God's plan of this beautiful world, restored, cultivated, harmonious, back in place. That's what Jesus has come to do. He is sowing the seed, which is the word, the word of the kingdom of God, the good news that he has been proclaiming. But the shock is not everyone is automatically included. 
Because some of the seed falls on good soil in verse 8. But before that, we get three other kinds of soil. The assumption of God's people in the Old Testament was because they were born into Israel, they were fine. They could kind of behave any way they wanted and do whatever they liked. In fact, that was why they were sent off into exile, because God said, you don't listen to me, so you're going to go into exile. And so Jesus is saying, don't make the same mistake. Don't make the mistake they made. Listen. And the word listen doesn't just mean hearing with your ears. It's listen and respond. Listen and obey. Don't just let the word pass through your ears and then go out and live any other way. No, listen and respond with obedience to the word of the gospel, the good news, to the call to repent and believe. Uh, do that, says Jesus, because it's not automatic that you get to be part of the beautiful garden that I've come to sow and that God is building, God is growing. Okay. So that's, that's one of the things Jesus is teaching in this, in this parable with these images. There are a few other things, though. Uh, another thing uh, is that Jesus, you might have noticed, there are three positive and three negative responses. So there are three negative responses, which are the rocky soil, uh, the thorny soil, uh, the path. And then there are three positive responses, the, the 30, 60, and 100. And you can take each of those in turn. So you, you have three negative responses... Uh, that's all about the way you hear and respond to the word. But, but as much as it's about something for us to consider about how we're listening to the gospel today, it was actually a comment on what was happening there and then. So think about that seed on the path for a moment. So hard and flat and certain that the seed just lands on it. It can't get under the surface at all. Well, that's very familiar, very similar to the attitude of the Pharisees and teachers of the law last week. Do you remember? Who come to Jesus and say, he's in league with the devil, that one. As soon as they say that, there's nothing really much that Jesus can say or do, right? If he does a miracle, does it? well, devil's power. If he, if he says, if he quotes some scripture, well, don't you know even, even Satan knows how to twist the scriptures? If he says something clever, he's just trying to deceive you because he's evil. Whatever he does, whatever he says, they can put another spin on it. When you've got to that place of hardness, the word just has no way to get through. Or uh, you could think of the, the seed on thorny soil. Later on in Mark, you're going to meet, we'll meet the rich young ruler. And it's not that he doesn't want to hear anything. He comes to Jesus. He's interested in the kingdom of God. It, it's just there are other voices that are louder, worldly wealth, other responsibilities maybe that he has, that mean that, yeah, but Jesus, your voice is going to get crowded out when there's a competition going on. It is a comment on what is happening there and then. Now, he spends a lot longer on the negative examples than the positive, and I think that's because he wants to explain what has been happening in chapters 2 and 3. Why is it that he has been met with such hostility? Well, Jesus says, look, that's just the way. When the gospel comes, you get different responses, and some of them are hostile, sometimes because they're more worried about other things, uh, sometimes because they've not listened well enough in the first place, so they were expecting just something hunky-dory, and then they realize it's a bit harder than they thought, so they don't last. Sometimes they're just so hard that they won't even start listening properly. 
But for all that, there are still those positive examples. See, he quotes Isaiah, but Jesus is different to Isaiah. Isaiah was told, you're going to preach and preach and preach, and no one will ever listen or respond. But Jesus will have a positive response. Not everybody, there's a mixed response for sure, but some 30, some 60, and some 100 times, there will be a harvest, there will be a crop. Now, a hundred times is a pretty big harvest. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom is growing and it will continue to grow. But by using the picture of seeds and things growing in a garden, he's telling us it's organic. It's gradual. It's not going to happen all at once. There's a book called The Triumph of Christianity by a guy called Rodney Stark. And he talks about the first 300 years of the church. And in the first 300 years, the church booms. It overtakes the very Roman Empire that was trying to persecute it. And you sort of, in your head, in my head, I guess you think, oh, there must have been just revival after revival after revival. And he points out, in order to get the kind of following it got, the only growth they needed was 2% every year. Just that they kept going. It was just a long-term plan. 2% 2% a year, that means for a church of 50, that's one person becoming a Christian every year. And you think, that's, that's nothing. But Rodney Stark points out, give it 300 years, and that's something very significant. And Jesus is telling us here, the kingdom grows gradually, organically. Uh, the, the seeds sown in rocky soil, of course, uh, they, were exp- they spring up quick, but they don't last. Maybe some people don't understand that it's a long game and a hard game at times. But Jesus is giving us the picture here of the slow, organic growth of the kingdom. Like I say, he focuses a little more on the negatives than the positives, I think, to explain the reaction that he's been getting. But both are there. There's one more thing I want to say, but just before that, I I wonder if you've seen why it's important to listen. Uh, Listen because Jesus' teaching has layers. There's a depth to it. Uh, Listen because he's trying to get under the surface and to the heart. Uh, Listen uh, so you don't get the wrong end of the stick about how the kingdom grows. Or expect everyone to respond positively all at once. Listen because your inclusion isn't automatic. Your response is important to the gospel message. But there's one final thing, and I want to end here because I think this gives us real hope in this slow and sometimes unsettling um, time of being a Christian. This time when there are rejections, oppositions, misdirections, disappointments. Why is it that the kingdom will grow in spite of all that? Well, think about a seed for a moment. A seed is a small thing. It looks dead. It is actually in a state of deep hibernation. But it looks dead to all the world. And yet within that unimpressive-looking small dead thing, there is huge, life-giving power. And what better picture is there for the gospel than that? There's a quote from a, uh, a commentator here, 
uh, on these chapters. He says, The presence of Jesus signals the release of the mysterious forces of God, which reveals the majesty and sovereignty of God. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, we see this dynamic of something that looks very small. In fact, a little later on, at the end of the story, at the end of Mark's gospel, it's going to look very dead. And he's going to be put into the ground. And yet, in that dead body put into a ground, there is the power of life that defeats the grave, rises again, and offers hope to everyone. And so for all the disappointments, for all the opposition, let us not lose sight of this. Have you been listening? Are you just looking at the people rejecting or the opposition that there is and thinking, oh man, the church is in such a state. God's plan seems in such a mess. Uh, Maybe if you're a Christian in this country, you're thinking, look, the UK church is dying, isn't it? I'm not actually sure the stats show that that is completely true, even in the UK. If you have worldwide vision, you can see that's really not the case. The church is booming all around the world. But even if you just look at our situation, you think, oh, we're dying, aren't we? Friends, even if the church dies, that's not the end with our God. G.K. Chesterton put it like this. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew his way out of the grave. The parable of the sower tells us how God's kingdom works. It tells us it grows. It tells us the reactions and responses that we get. But underneath it all, have you been listening? This is the kingdom of God with the power of God at work within it. So don't worry too much about what it looks like. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to the gospel message.